Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We have to make being a citizen and being a candidate safe for learning. There's a whole America out there. There's a whole America out there that's not getting any news coverage. And that's the America where Americans work together. Our show is about fixes. Not the same old left versus right. I am right, right. and you are wrong. You're wrong. Yeah, something new. How to make the world a better place. How, How do, do we, we fix, fix it? it? How do we fix it? Jim, American politics is hopelessly divided, more so than at any time in decades. The political campaign is usually framed as a battle between Democrats and Republicans, or left versus right. Right, but the largest group of voters is independents like us. And many of us are really turned off by politicians who shout at each other instead of trying to come together to solve problems. Today, as we record this in the middle of the primary campaign, we're talking about our hyper-partisan divide, why it threatens to cripple the country, and what we can do about it. This is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And our producer Miranda Schaefer is with us in the studio. Today's guest is Mark Gerzon, president of Mediators Foundation and author of the new book, The Reunited States of America, How We Can Bridge the Partisan Divide. Mark is also an expert in bringing people together in high conflict zones around the world, has advised the U.S. Congress, United Nations, and multinational corporations. So welcome, Mark. Great to be with you this morning. Now, you've said that we have, quote, stumbled into a political gutter of attack and demonization. Why is that so dangerous for our democracy? It's dangerous because no matter what you care about, ultimately our political system is going to make it better or worse. Ultimately, they'll make smart decisions, wise decisions that serve us as American citizens, or they'll make stupid decisions, or worse, no decisions, things will get worse. Well, let me build on that. You say we're in a state of permanent campaigning rather than governance. Why is that a problem? As long as campaigning is going on, governing can't begin. And it used to be there was this thing called a campaign, which lasted a month or two in the early days of our republic. And for a month or two, they'd campaign, and then they'd govern for a couple of years during those periods of, you know, two to four to six years that they serve. Well, what's happening now is that, as we can see this year, the campaigns are going on and on and on. And after Election Day, um, they start the next campaign. And every issue that comes before them on Capitol Hill becomes a, a, a football, a hot potato that they throw back and forth trying to gain points and gain an edge. So we can see it now with the Supreme Court. Instead of having a Supreme Court that functions during the year 2016, we're going to have a battlefield. 
And that's what's happened to every part of our government. Whatever it is, it's now become a battlefield and it's not doing the job. It's not taking care and serving the American people. Why are you suggesting then that we should all become polite moderates? Absolutely not. I'm saying let's have a good, strong argument during a period of time called a campaign. Let's have it be civil and problem solving oriented, not personal attack oriented. And then when the election day comes, then let's start to govern. But it requires that people understand that at the heart of our free democracy, we have to have a relationship between parties. If we were a one party dictatorship, there'd there'd be no relationship. In China and the Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, there's no relationship. There's one party. They run everything. Well, we decided we wanted to be a democracy. In a democracy, you have two or more parties. But what's happened is that the relationship between the parties is, you know, basically like a dysfunctional relationship between a couple that's caught in a horrible divorce. And it's a permanent horrible divorce. And we all know what that does to a family. And that's what it's doing to America. And the problem, as you describe it, isn't just in government. We're, we're saying you use the word uh, tribalism in the reunited states of America. And I think we've all seen this, a, a tribalism in our social media feeds and our in, in people we know. You certainly see it on college campuses where people really seem to be enjoying taking sides and vilifying the opposition. Yes. In my book, I look at all the ways that we used to have to listen to different points of view. You know, we used to have to listen to different points of view, by example, for, for ter- by turning on the radio or turning on television, where there was a couple of channels or ne- and the stations, and we had to listen to them. Um, you mean because you know, there wasn't a choice. We couldn't go to the right. liberal yeah, channel I, or the conservative that's right. channel. When I, grew up, when I grew up, there was ABC, NBC, and CBS, and that was it. Well, now, you know, now if I'm a conservative, I can go to Fox and just listen to Fox. And if I'm a liberal, I can go to MSNBC and just listen to MSNBC. And I can create a closed feedback loop and we can walk around in our own little bias bubble. And so what I'm basically arguing for in the United States of America is that if you want to be a citizen of a democracy, you need to burst the bias bubble. You need to pop out of the bias bubble and start listening to other points of view, because otherwise we become uh, the divided states of America, not the United States of America. And this is something we've actually talked a lot about here on this podcast. Another thing that's related to that is the the powerful charge people get from feeling like they're on the right side of history and they can identify people on the wrong side. You, you talk in your blog at one point about people be, at political rallies getting kind of drunk on the sense on partisanship and uh, and how politicians that channel that negativity towards the other side are particularly effective. And we're certainly seeing that the two insurgent candidates today, you know, Sanders and Trump, both seem to be really harnessing this sense of, um, of vilifying the opposition. Yes, I agree completely with what you said there. And, and it's very strong at every rally, but particularly at Trump and Sanders rally. But it's also true at Clinton and, and Rubio rallies that that when you're there surrounded by people who agree with you, with a candidate who's saying things you agree with, um, the whole limbic system, it's like getting drunk. I mean, I've been at those rallies, and when I put myself in the shoes of who's in the room, it's like getting drunk. You get high, but it's a cheap high, because once you encounter the news or somebody different from you, or you find out that the person you want to win lost, I mean, I'm thinking about the people who put $100 million into into Jeb Bush candidacy. You know, that's $100 million that... Um, I don't know how those people feel, but my guess is they feel burnt. You know, they feel like, wow, I just spent all that money for somebody who never clicked. Well, and, Mark, and- Mark, let me let me interrupt, though, and, and, and say this, that the, the candidates who've done surprisingly well 
are indeed Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders. So don't people want these divisive politicians? In other words, what's the what's the audience for what you're saying when the candidates well, have done very well are the ones who seem to be the angriest and the most divisive? Well, that's a great question. Um, in my book, I, I quote an economist who says the American people know they've been robbed. They just don't know by whom. And you've just picked two candidates who I think are most eloquent about saying you've been robbed. And then they're offering their absolutely opposite conclusions. Donald Trump doesn't say a word about inequality. Bernie Sanders only talks about inequality. You know, uh, Donald Trump says, keep all Muslims out. You know, Bernie Sanders says, let's be an open, welcoming country to people who are, you know, running away from dictatorships. In other words, I think what that what, what people have in common is is actually not wanting divisive politics. I think what they're wanting is a deeper truth. And I think if you're on the far right, Donald Trump sounds like he's saying a deeper truth, which is, hey, those politicians are just going to make it worse and worse. You've got to elect somebody outside the game because they're just playing a game. Well, he's right. And, and Bernie Sanders is right, which is there's profound inequality in this country. It's, it's absolutely undermining our democracy. So there's truth in both of those positions. The problem is, it's what I call in my book, you know, uh, the half-truth, the half-truth candidate. Um, and I talk about the Democrats and Republicans as splitting the truth in half and then saying, now vote for our half of the truth. And what I'm so proud about millennials is that many of your millennial listeners know this already. They, they look at these two parties and they say, you know, it's a con game. You know, it's a con game. Yeah. I, I don't want and I'm not going to sign on to one of those two channels. Uh, I'm a real human being with complex views and feelings, and I'm not going to be stick myself in a D or an R box. Yeah, because we've really seen a rise in two trends, one of which is positive, one's negative. The positive one is an increase in the number of independents, people who've peeled away from the two main parties. But the negative side is that we've also seen a rise in recent years of, of non-voting, especially in primaries where the turnout is pretty miserably low. Yes. Again, people are saying, you know, there's something wrong with the system. I'm, I'm not even going to bother to vote. And well, what do you say, though, to people who are non-voters? Um, I say, look, if you don't care, if you don't want to vote, that's your right. But then find another way to have your voice heard, because if you don't find another way to have your voice heard, you are simply leaving uh, America to the extremes. And so this notion that in democracy, you're a citizen if you vote once every two or four years, what about the other 364 days of the year? I mean, I have colleagues in, in this movement I'm a part of, the Movement to Reunite America, that run an organization called Everyday Democracy. And they say, look, we need to be doing democracy every day. And that means getting out of your bias bubble. It means reaching out and working with people in your community who are different from you. It means learning about other points of view. It, me it means becoming a bridge, becoming a bridge that really keeps the you united in the United States of America. Because right now we just have activists who are basically dividing the country. We need activists who are reuniting it. It strikes me that part of the problem here that we're seeing is with the most partisan candidates in dialogue is this idea that problems are about people. If you can identify the bad people and get rid of them, then you can solve the problem. You know, Trump blames Mexicans and China and, and pretty much every foreign country. And then Sanders you, blames Wall Street. In your book, you say there's widespread belief people feel like if my person wins, the country will get better. Can we can we move the debate beyond people and focus on policy? I agree with you completely. And the rule number one in negotiation theory is be tough on the problem, not on the people. And being tough on the problem means realizing that whether, whether it's immigration or gun rights or ISIS or whatever issue you know is, is on your mind, it's not a simple problem. And if you think it's a simple problem, it's because you haven't. 
It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Done your homework. Our guest so- is Mark Gerson, uh, the president of Mediators Foundation, author of the book, The Reunited States of America. Mark, our, our podcast is about solutions. So, so let's look at some ways that we can tackle some of these problems. I want to begin with the whole idea of dialogue versus debate. What can we do as individuals? You can decide what it means to be a citizen. Um, Does being a citizen mean going out into your community and telling people, here's what's right, I'm right, please agree with me, agree with me, and if you don't, to hell with you. You That's one way of being a citizen. The way I'm recommending you be a citizen is to go out into your community and say, here's what I believe. What do you believe? I'd like to find out what the beliefs are in our community because we've got a problem here and I want to solve it. Uh, let's solve it together. Go out and be a learner and recognize that the founding fathers and founding mothers, they wanted democracy to be about learning and evolving. They didn't say in 1776, we got it all figured out for the rest of eternity. They said it has to be reinvented by every generation. And we have to make being a citizen and being a candidate safe for learning. Tell us a little bit about Living Room Conversations. Uh, Living Room Conversations was started by a colleague of mine, Joan Blades, who you know, came out of the far left with MoveOn.org. And she realized that you know, MoveOn.org and other organizations on the left, they were, you know, they were important. They were expressing a point of view for millions of people. But she realized that you know, America needed those people on the left to come together with people on the right and sit together. And so she started Living Room Conversations, which is in cities around the country. And you can find out about it just by going to livingroomconversations.com. And they have a beautiful methodology whereby anybody listening to this podcast can say, hey, I've got some neighbors who I disagree with. I'm going to give them a call. Let's get together and talk about this issue that affects our community. And they give some very simple ground rules for having a conversation across differences. And the goal of it is not to try to persuade your neighbor to think just like you. Uh, The goal is to actually listen and learn and connect to them so solutions can emerge out of a stronger and healthier relationship. If you want to find out more, you can Google uh, Living Room Conversations. There are a bunch of these organizations out there, Mark. Uh, Everyday Democracy, the National Institution for Civil Discourse, Bridge Alliance. I guess what you're saying is those organizations are very helpful, but we need a movement, a political movement to change America, right? Yes, I, I think the first thing we need is, is a third narrative, which is that people need to know they have an option. Used to be if you wanted a taxi and get a ride, you had to call a yellow cab. Now there's probably two or three or four companies you can call, including Uber and Lyft. You, people know they have a choice. Well, I, I think it's really important that people know that they have a choice. They do not have to become a citizen and say, 
I'm a Democrat or a Republican. They can say, I'm a citizen who's going to think for myself and I'm going to I'm going to explore both sides of these issues and I'm going to come up with my own opinions. I call that being, you know, an independent, free thinking citizen who uses your inner freedom. To me, that's the key first step to realize that we can work together to solve the problems we face in a, in a country that we all love. But maybe me, one maybe one thing you're not addressing, though, is that that nice, warm, emotional feeling. I mean, uh, Jim mentioned it about getting drunk with the crowd that you're with right. um, when you're at a rally for a political candidate, but also that real comfort of feeling I'm a liberal or I'm a conservative and these are my peeps. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, this is a choice a citizen has to make. Do you want to get drunk on being right? And, and enjoy that feeling with other people who have that feeling and stick out, stay, stay with people who you agree with and badmouth the people you don't. I understand that. I have that same side. You know, I, I love being with people who think just like me. But after a while, um, you know, do you want health care to get better? Do you want us to defeat ISIS? Do you want, um, you know, your kids to go to a school that actually works? Um, do you want the immigration problem solved? Um, do you want our economy to get stronger or do you want the 1% to continue to get rich at your expense? I mean, these are choices that people have to make. Um, I, I think it's do you want the problem solved or do you want to have the cheap high of being right and calling those other people sons of bitches or whatever you call them? So, Mark, earlier you compared our politics to a, a, a couple going through a bad divorce. And I think I see in a lot of political dialogue is very unhealthy styles of communicating that you do see in in people that are that know each other well and they're very bitter with each other, where the goal of every conversation isn't, hey, let's figure out how to take care of this problem. It's I'm I'm going to now prove to you that you're a horrible person. You see this in politics all the time. You see it on Facebook. You know, you talk about it a lot in the book. How do we how do we get past that in personal conversation? Well, this is not rocket science. Twenty years ago, when I worked with the U.S. Congress and I designed the retreats for the U.S. Congress. We took over 200 members of the House of Representatives to Hershey, Pennsylvania for a retreat. They said to me, Mark, how do you know we're going to behave differently when you take us away on this retreat? And I said, you're only going to behave differently if you have different ground rules. So we together came up with a set of ground rules. And now they're going to sound familiar to any family who's had a family dinner. Respect, no personal attacks, um, openness to different points of view, listening, and staying in the room, not walking out. So there was four very simple grounders, respect, openness, listening, and, and, and staying present. Now, if one practices those ground rules, and they're not easy, um, I'm delighted to say that you start to learn something about each other. And what I've learned when I bring opposites together, because I, you know, I brought Al Gore together with the people who hated his views on climate change. And in fact, I brought him together with the people who took out the attack ads against his Inconvenient Truth movie. And what happened was these people learned. Gore realized that he was talking about climate change in a way that offended people on the right. And the people who were taking out the attack ads basically admitted, you know, yeah, we believe climate change is real, but we took out the attack ads because we thought you were just using the issue to make government bigger and infringe on our rights. So we're a good people. We're a good country. Americans, Americans are great people. But you're absolutely right. We're caught in a style of communicating in public that's based on fear, disrespect, not listening and scoring points, and it's going to get us nowhere. Well, let me explore that further, and your personal motivation for getting involved in, in writing this book, Reunited States of America. It sounds like it's come out of a lifetime of trying to bring people together and be constructive rather than tearing folks down. It, it is a lifetime because it started probably with my parents' divorce when I was a kid, 
So I'm sure that predisposed me. But then it was the truth is that the last 40 years in America, being an American citizen, it's been one conflict after another. We can't solve any of the problems we face if we're tearing, tearing each other down the whole time. I mean, and I think your listeners know that because we've all been in relationships, whether at work or at home, where everything's a power struggle. And when everything's a power struggle, people get hurt. You know, people get hurt and problems don't get solved. So it has been a lifetime kind of commitment of mine because I, I'd love to see the greatness of America really flourish. And it's not going to flourish. Um, it's not going to flourish because we vote for some knight on a white horse, because um, there is no knight on a white horse. As a united country, nobody can defeat us. As a divided country, we're a sitting duck for terrorists. That's a great point to end with. But before we go, uh, Miranda Schaefer, our producers in the studio, Miranda, is there anything that uh, we should ask that we, we didn't? Well, do you think the problem's gotten worse? Uh, the analogy that I'd use um, is, is an analogy of boxing. Uh, because since I started watching elections 30 years ago, every time there's an election, people start using boxing metaphors. They still think of it as a boxing match. And they talk about, you know, did so-and-so throw a knockout punch? And um, and the truth is, it used to be no hitting below the belt. And there used to be a referee. And what's happened now is, is we've seen it turn really, really dirty. Not only because the two boxers in the ring are dirty, but because now there are people outside the ring called super PACs who can throw all sorts of crap inside the ring, you know? They're throwing rocks and beer bottles and, you know, in other words, it's not even a clean fight anymore. And I think there was a clean, uh, healthy way. I mean, I'm not idealizing it. I know there was always dirty tricks and so forth, but relatively speaking, you're absolutely right that it's gotten dirtier, it's gotten worse. Young millennials, they sense it because they look at it and they go, wait a minute, I don't I don't want to be treated that way and I don't want to treat other people that way. Uh, what is wrong with you older people with these crazy fights you have between these two parties. Uh, one of my colleagues says, you know, the younger generation, they didn't have to buy the album. They could just buy the song. And, and I, I think it's a beautiful <laughs> metaphor. I think it's a beautiful metaphor for saying they're not going to buy the Democratic or Republican line. They're just not going to, they're not going to buy it. They're going to think through issues and decide for themselves what they think is best. And they're looking for candidates who are doing that too. And that's why they gravitate towards the word independent. You know, if, if anybody said today, let's send a man to the moon before the end of the decade, it would become a political football. It wouldn't happen, you know. Um, you, you can't get anything done in America today without the other side trying to undercut it. So I think it's gotten much worse. Mark, thanks very much. Yes, yeah, so great. So much to talk about and such an important field and work that you're doing. Well, I appreciate your show very much. I hope we hit on enough solutions. And if you, uh, if you guys are reading the book, you know that there's probably another 35 organizations we never mentioned. So if you if you do any voiceover editing, you might just throw in some of those other names because like no labels was never mentioned, for example, you know, or uh, public conversations project or. And again, I think the key point I should have made is that that there's a whole America out there. There's a whole America out there that's not getting any news coverage. And that's the America where Americans work together. Um, and that's the key message of my book is that there's a there's an America out there that works together. And we need to start paying as much attention to them as to the parts of America that aren't working together. Well, you know what? We're, we're going to include that in our show, what yeah. we just said. <laughs> great, great, great. Yeah. Mark, right. Mark Gerzon, author of The Reunited States of America, a brand new book. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much. I love this quote in Mark Gerzon's book, Democracy Needs a Place to Sit Down. It was from uh, Hannah Arendt. <laughs> I think that what I'm interested in talking about with you, Jim, right now is how do we how do we get here? 
how did things get so bad? Um, how did we get to a point where uh, being snarky and being dismissive and, and, and really seeing someone who doesn't agree with us, a public figure who doesn't agree with us, as, as being a, a creature of fun or, or, or a demon or a devil yes. in some way? Right, right. I, I'm, I think this has gotten dramatically worse it, over the last 30 years or so. And I, I think part of it is tribalism, as he mentioned, uh, as, as Mark Gerzon mentioned. People like being in tribes. It, it feels empowering. I think we have an instinct for it. Politics has gotten much more tribal. And I think you see it on college campuses. You see it, uh, you see it in social media. And part of it, it comes down to what I call the, the John Stewartification of, of our culture. You know, John Stewart, very funny, very smart. But most of his routines, whenever he touched on politics, he, he basically, it was like the mean girls version of politics. I'm in the in crowd. I'm at the table on the lunch table with all the cool girls. We get to decide who's cool and who's not cool. And we're not only going to, if somebody we don't agree with, we're not only going to say they're wrong. We're going to do everything we can to humiliate them. That was the basis of a lot of his humor. Yeah, I remember first coming back from Britain in 1984 and turning on David Letterman, who is really new, and thinking how much funnier he was than Johnny Carson. But that whole type of humor is kind of... You don't have to take a position, right? But and, but it's ironic, it's funny, but but there's nothing positive about but there, it. There's a meanness to it, and it and a lot of times when it comes down to is we know we're the good guys, we're the smart guys, we're the cool guys, and so we can uh, we we make the rules. We don't have to explain our positions. We don't have to justify anything. We know we're right, and anybody on the other side is either evil or an idiot, but either way, they're a great source of fun and humiliation. And it's empowering. It's fun to humiliate the other side. Look on your Facebook feed. Look at how many political commentaries they aren't. You know, here's a really interesting article that explains a slightly different viewpoint than I had before about this important issue. It's, oh my God, can you believe what idiots the other side is? The other thing that's happened is, and this never used to happen before, in the 1960s, when the Civil Rights Act was passed, there were at least as many Republicans in Congress in favor of it as, as Democrats. In fact, there was a whole wing of the Democratic Party, Southern Democrats, who were, who were very strongly opposed. At that time, the Republican Party was a coalition of liberals and conservatives, as was the, the Democratic Party. And what's happened now is, with this tribalization of politics, the Republicans now are almost exclusively conservative and, and Democrats left of center. Yes, yes. I mean, both both sides have have moved in with Bernie Sanders in particular. You know, you see this this very far leftward lurch. Uh, and, on the Democratic and, and with Ted Cruz, a very strong yes, rightward right. lurch by the Republicans. That's actually the, the probably the more appropriate parallel. Trump is some weird amalgam of just of of populism. But let's get on to to uh, markers on solutions, because in his book and in, in our discussion, he really talks about some actual tools people can use. It's not just, oh, we all have to try to be better. And, and also, it's not just the system needs to be changed. No, it's we us need to as change. individuals. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, yeah. one thing that's been so great well, for me working on this podcast with you, you and I come from somewhat different political backgrounds. Uh, not, you know, neither of us is an extremist on either side. And, and we're very civilized. We try. <laughs> I mean, that's the point of right. the show yeah. is, OK, here, here's an issue, healthcare, whatever it is. We may disagree on some some elements, but what can we agree with? And 
you know, I think when politics works best is when we uh, we come together and maybe you don't get to pass one giant bill that solves every problem at once. But maybe you can tackle these problems a little bit at a time. Yeah, it's not to say that there haven't always been bitter rivalries. I mean, uh, Miranda was mentioning Burr versus Hamilton, the, the duel that killed Alexander Hamilton, one of our great founding fathers. We've always had these bitter rivalries and enmity. But what's happened is that that private stuff has bled much more into the public sphere than right, before. Right. So I'm really intrigued with this idea, the psychology of politics. When we had Greg Lukianoff, the free speech advocate, in his great article in the Atlantic Monthly, he talked a lot about the psychology of extremists on college campuses. And they talked about dialectical behavioral therapy, which is a really interesting uh, treatment protocol for people who are highly agitated and emotional and and prone to flying off in extremes. And one of the big focuses is instead of using your conversation with your partner or your child or, or whoever as a way to vilify them and convince them that they're really horrible and they've always been horrible, Use it to figure out what is the one thing you want to accomplish in your in your discussion. Before we wrap up, I just want to mention that on our website, we're going to have links to various organizations. One of my favorites is nolabels.org. Uh, also, another site called Everyday Democracy and Living Room Conversations. They're, they're just three, but there'll be some other links as well. And those Living Room Conversation guidelines are great. Scientists don't go out to say, I'm going to look for all the data that proves I'm right. They, they go out and look for the things that maybe disprove or challenge their thesis to make sure that they're right. And they learn along the way. And I think, you know, everybody should read a political blog that you, you don't agree with. I'm more conservative, so I read Mother Jones all the time. I don't agree with it, but it's a very, you know, well-written, well-researched uh, magazine. And I read some of the stuff you recommend, which is very <laughs> disturbing to me. We've run out of time. Our show is How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. Our producer is Miranda Schaefer. And our... Our audio engineer, Denise Barbarita, here at the beautiful Mono Lisa Studios in Uptown Manhattan. The music's by Lou Stravinsky. Our show's... Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. Produced by Davies Content.